Welcome to Sunburnt Country Music, interviews with Australian country music artists. My name is Sophie and I have been interviewing Australian country music artists for over a decade and I still love it. I love their stories, I love their insights and I love their music. So I hope you enjoy hearing from them on this podcast. Henry Waggons is known to many as the host of Tower of Song on Double J and to many others as the head honcho of the band Waggons as well as a solo artist. His latest album is South of Everywhere and it was recently nominated for an ARIA award. He's also one of the most dynamic live performers anywhere of any epoch as far as I'm concerned. Hello, Henry. (laughs) What a wonderful introduction. I, um, yeah, I get carried away when I hit the stage, don't I? It's, it, I, I think it's all contained and then I wouldn't say it's like there's no chaos at all because that's like we always get the sensor in the hands of a complete master. Which oh, is well, that's nice. What helps the audience relax, right? Like when you know someone's so capable and so interested in entertaining, it's like, oh, great, I'm going to have a good time here. I'm just going to sit back. You know, that's really nice to hear and it's really important to me. Um, look, I think it comes from a place of anxiety. Like basically when I um, am on the stage, I mean, less so now, but uh, talking in between songs and making sure everyone's okay uh, is just a deep, it comes from a deep need to to be liked. (laughs) Basically, basically it's sort of like, I didn't, I always found when I first started in bands, I was in a few bands, I'd play bass in bands, I'd play keyboard in bands uh, of all different kinds when I was growing up. But I always found those pauses, awkward pauses, um, really, well, infuriating. Um, People would drift off, people would talk. And, you know, I'm just like, I want to keep people's attention. I didn't want people to drift off for whatever reason. I've never been comfortable giving up people's attention, I guess. So I just feel the space because I'd get stressed if there was silence and and, and I'd start losing people because I care about what I do, I guess. And I just, I got to keep people interested. Um, So that's sort of where it started. But when I got positive reinforcement um, of the bullshit I was spinning, uh, the horse had already bolted. Well, and it's, I think the fundamental thing about what you just said is that you care about what you're doing. And um, so it's not coming from a place of, well, at least for me as an audience member, it doesn't, I, I don't perceive it as coming from a place of, oh, I, I really want everyone to think I'm great. It's actually, oh. yeah, I care about everyone having a, a good time here. And so it's that authentic connection with the audience. Yeah. I, um, I'm shooting for that. That's, okay. um, it's kind to hear that that's, uh, that's coming at- across. And, you know, when people um, say they like the gig, uh, sometimes I do say, yeah. And especially when people say, man, you were flailing around. you It's so much energy or whatever people say. And it's like, yeah, A for effort. I always get an A for effort, <laughs> A for participation. <laughs> well, I, I tend to think that's from people who, who have probably never performed because it's it, there's so much that goes into into successful performance and it starts from the intention um, and and then it becomes your how much energy are you channeling beforehand and then how much you can sustain how much you can work with the audience uh and flow with that so it's it's a full-bodied very present experience Um, oh good i think it's i want to also say though that some of my favorite artists are incredibly awkward on stage to watch like i've actually always really admired 
that. Um, and, you know, that ability to be at peace with awkwardness and silence um, and um, like someone like Aldous Harding, for example, um, you know, like, but you have to do it well. Like if you're going to do that, you have to be the most awkward. You have to be the most strange, you know, as long as, long as people are willing to uh, commit to whatever how, and however they present. Like Wilco, Jeff Tweedy is almost committed to being the utmost pinnacle of slacker. Like he dresses like he's just got off the couch <laughs> and he's so approachable and so kind and, and gives no effort to the point where he's completely approachable. You know, or, you know, you know, it's it's like whatever you do, as long as you're doing it well and you care, you know, I'm I'm down with it. I happen to be, well, what you said. <laughs> yeah. And actually, this interview started completely differently to how I planned because I was <laughs> going to start with a non-music question. So I will go to that because I do think sure. there's a there's a relationship in. I'm I'm going to lead you in a certain direction, um, and the question is because um, I believe you're a squash player, and yeah. I. I am a tennis player and squash and tennis are like the fraternal twins of ball sports. Well, I've switched to tennis. <gasps> I play tennis. We have to have a hit. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm basically pre-COVID, I was squash. But right. okay. um, during COVID here in Melbourne, you know, gyms were closed for a long time and that's where you, I'd play squash, you mm. know, um, headband, little bag, little racket, smashing the ball around. Um, but they were closed, so I switched to the outdoors. Tennis was allowed back earlier, and I sort of channeled. So I'm playing tennis now. I'm sw- I, and I, I I realized I like the outdoors and the breeze and the sun, and yeah, a lot more people think it's less weird. So I've got, I've gone to tennis now well, too. Welcome to the light side. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. It's a great game. But I do. I I find that there are there are a lot of correlations between being a successful at a sport, even on a like an amateur outside on a court once a, a you know every few weeks level, yep. um, and being a musician actually. But I'm wondering if you have found because obviously yes, you know, squash is a sport that takes commitment. Uh, yes, it's very challenging for anyone who hasn't played it. It's it's quite dynamic um, to use a, a, a word that I'd apply to you as well. So I'm wondering what you've learned from sport or that you've applied as a musician or whether you think there are any correlations at all? Yeah, it's a really, I've never been asked that before. I, I think it's a really interesting question. I do think sport and the way people play sport is a metaphor for how they live their lives. You can tell so much about someone uh, when you play, mm-hmm. uh, have a tennis rally with them and play, you know, do they throw their racket around? Do they get angry? Do they, are they patient? Are they a stay or are they, uh, friendly when they lose, do they rub it? You know all this stuff. Um, I, I, um, I, I kind of try and be annoyingly zen when I play tennis. <laughs> I'm, I'm unflappable, and I try and uh, tennis is such a meditative experience for me. I have a believe it or not, I have um, plenty of stresses in my life. Um, you know, it's it's quite odd. Um, being a musician and, and, and doing radio, you know, your whole life is, you know, dealing with various appointments of, about yourself. It's it's a very odd and, and strange thing, but that's a whole another conversation. But tennis for me is an escape from that. 
an escape and and i just love it being fun and meditative and i like to play every point as if i'm throwing a fishing line into a river i try and play every point whether it be in a tie break or i'm i'm four love down advantage to my opponent on my serve you know i try and play every point as if it's exactly the same way just responding to the conditions how can i work out how my what are my opponent's weaknesses um how can i Mm -hmm. i'm a puzzle uh solver uh problem solver so uh i play tennis like that and i'm i just try and play the most i play the percentages uh and try and grind down my opponent uh that's my style how do you play um, well, and I should say on the should say on the puzzle solving side, I like to call tennis cardiovascular chess. Mm, I think mm. you know because you really have to problem solve on the run. I mean, yeah. I, I play. I look through. I play against my best friend, mm-hmm. uh, and we actually became friends through tennis. So that's also oh, okay. another dynamic where we learn to love each other by showing mm, up and mm. trying to whack the hell out of each other um, yeah. on the court. Yeah, I I like to uh, end points decisively, but it doesn't always happen the way I wish. <laughs> But I do think there is like the the things you've talked about and how you play tennis, there are again those correlations to live performance because I think it's about you know you were talking about reading the opponent. Mm. It's also reading an audience and that association of tennis being such an individualistic sport um yeah. and being a solo performer. Yep. There I think there are personality traits in common with both. I think when I do live performance, I've I sometimes compare it to a uh, predator mask you know where like in that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where you can kind of you look out across the audience and when you're in the zone that sort of flow state that is the stage because everyone's looking at you you have no choice but to rest your mind in the present and only think of what's happening and you look around and it's like time slows down and you can see, just like in the Predator Mask, those heat maps, like where I look out in the crowd and I can see sort of extra things and that sort of supernatural feeling, it, 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 no matter how illusory it is, you know, I I buzz off that. And it's a really exciting state because you, in the course of your everyday life, you just don't get to be that present. Um, because you're always distracted by everything, whereas when you're on stage, you have no choice, or mm-hmm. I have no choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so yeah, it's it's interesting. It's in, I love that aspect. Looking out because you're playing the same songs after all. You're mm-hmm. playing the same a, a lot of the same songs, and I in fact don't like playing new songs. Uh, I'm not one of those because for me. I love it when the songs are muscle memory so I can be present. So I don't even have to worry about the music. And I know that um, can get boring for people. I try and uh, insert new songs where I have to, but I don't like it. <laughs> I prefer, <laughs> yeah. I think it's yeah. also when you mentioned the flow state and being present, um, that's very, yes, very much true of tennis. It is for me as well. I, that's why I, part of, partly why I love it. Um, mm-hmm. It is so meditative. And this is the same. Yeah, and it's just, that's right. But it's also that idea that um, I find this playing tennis and you may find it in, in tennis and also in performance, you can adjust your understanding of time and, mm-hmm. and manipulate time because when you're in a point, 
Some points seem to be very quick and some points seem to be mm -hmm. very slow. They're probably the same amount of time. It depends on your understanding of how you're working with time within that point and how much time you think you need, which takes yeah. a bit of practice, but I think live performance may well be the same. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you have that, uh, I, I'd say, almost unique vantage point. Ah. Both. <laughs> well, it, it is, it's, it's exciting. I, 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 like to, I like the idea of thinking that some of the stuff I do on the tennis court might help me on stage and vice versa. This is a good insight. <laughs> uh, well, then I'm also wondering if your sporting life and your musical life began around the same time for you. Um, I mean, no. I mean, I, I, uh, I guess, you know, a lot of people played music at school. I didn't. I came to it late. I came to it at uni. I sort of had guitar, uh, failed guitar lessons when I was seven or eight years old and dumped it and picked it up again when I was 18. And a lot of bands were forming around me. Um, and a DIY 90s sort of, uh, sort of scene was happening with four tracks and recording. Um, and I kind of was already playing sport, you know, I wasn't, you know, that into it. I was, I wanted to be a, a, an academic, really. I played sport for fun and I was on track to, I studied philosophy. I was like peak, you know, existential philosophy, you know, I was deep into literature and philosophy, like peak Melbourne um, wanker. <laughs> you know, and arguably I still am. Um, but but um, I, I, I just found, I fell, that was the idea and that was the plan. I started playing music, but I found a, uh, a home and I loved recording and I loved the four track and, and I loved playing music um, in a, just a compulsive way. I, I, as soon as I started, I couldn't stop. And I, I, I learned how to play the drums badly. I learned how to play the guitar badly. The bass, I could play everything badly right. um, uh, that I needed to make songs. And, and I, I started that way. And, you know, I played sport at school. Uh, I played basketball and tennis, you know, not badly, but always passionately. Mm. Um, uh, you know, I, I think not too... I was always incredibly competitive, but I, I hope that I was also kind as well. I wasn't one of those competitive assholes. I was a I was one of those assholes that would smile and ask if you're okay when I beat you. <laughs> <laughs> Even Rafael Nadal, the nicest man on tour. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it's interesting that you say uh, that it was about recording things because when I saw you play recently in Sydney, you mentioned that South of Everywhere, your latest mm -hmm. album, had was you recording mm. everything basically during it was a lockdown project. Yeah, it, it started that way. Well, it sort of was an emerging out of lockdown project. I did a lot of recording, unfinished recording. I've never been that bad at finishing things, but I found I couldn't properly finish stuff in COVID. Mm -hmm. um, I had a lot of unfinished ideas, which I ended up mostly dumping, really. They're, they're sort of still on my computer and, and still here. But I played Tamworth, probably where um, you might have seen me at the Tamworth Hotel. I play, and, and that year, because Blues Fest was rescheduled, Tamworth and Blues Fest were back to back. And, and Lachlan Bryan and I drove across the mountain range to Tamworth from Byron Bay. Uh, 
And because I actually just had COVID, I had balance issues still, and I got incredibly car sick, which I do get, I do get car sick, but I got more car sick, a bit of a long COVID vibe. Um, and I just had to keep pulling over. It was a, it was a hideous drive, but that aside, um, I was incredibly inspired and motivated by being out in the live scene again. But because of COVID, I'd reinstigated my passion for recording uh, by myself again, not only for demos, but it's like, this sounds great. And this sound ends up sounding better than a lot of the stuff that ends up in a studio rushed on the clock. Um, I could just get it together. But I got it all together quickly. A lot of it was first takes of stuff, like especially the vocal. Right. I'd go with the momentum of the creation. So a lot of the the vocals were the first take and you can like you can actually hear, I think I might have said it at the gig, like you can hear me break up and, and get emotional during a couple of the songs. I'm thinking don't don't give up just yet and also don't know when it is I'm gonna die. I'm actually overwhelmed by trying to think of the motivations behind my lyrics about love and loss and my family you know and it, it actually kind of made me tear up i mean it sounds so pithy to say it but it's true i actually uh i actually get quite moved if i get deep within other people's lyrics or or my own i'm i'm deeply sensitive to it in a in a crazy way and that might i don't know i don't know so what? I think in a in a way that benefits your audience as well because that that determines the quality of the songs you're producing and and I did have um I did have questions actually about those two songs you mentioned or oh, right. which is you know it's we have I don't know when I'm going to die and then there's an immediate juxtaposition in the next track which is cover my eyes where where there's a line no one's going to miss me when I'm gone yeah 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 actually later we have don't give up and I was listening to those within the context of the album it's like well that's sort of like the, the roller coaster of life and death contemplation within the album and then more broadly in the album there are these songs that indicate details like bedroom window and I walk the same way to work which suggests that COVID lockdown awareness where you all we have with details right to focus yeah on. walk the same way to work I mean I I, I, I don't I don't <laughs> I, I mean I work here in, in you know this is sort of in the basement of my house but I, I that song was motivated by the same walk we do during lockdown every day you you notice those tiny details um around um and that song's a fun study in like 50s like a lot of uh songwriting for me is just finding a vibe or a story and then just getting lost in it and getting in, enthusiastic about going on a adventure a sonic adventure and and you know it'll it'll blossom or it won't it'll stay tight or it'll bloom and and i just sort of follow it and that that song you know i, I just sort of followed the there's all sorts of you know, funny little 50s novelty moments. But it, it all is in and around my home, mm. uh, uh, which is fun, which is fun. Yeah. But as I guess on the album for me, therefore, there were these microcosmic moments and then the macrocosm of life. Oh, life. yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was so like that, a, a lot of self-contemplation, like a lot of big, you know, existential void stuff, you know, um, 
and how much I pre. I actually really quite enjoyed lockdown, you know, uh, and being to ju- uh, being able to suck into to my own little bubble. And when I say my own little bubble, it's you know my wife, my one child, um, and my then two dogs. One of them's died since, but I um, I liked it. I like being forced. I, I travel. So I've never actually been good at being a road warrior. I tour and I like working my stuff, but I am never happier than when I'm in a routine at home and touring challenges me. I'm fulfilled by it, but I always look forward to coming home. Which is lovely. Yeah. Uh, Given that you mentioned that there were plenty of ideas that you discarded um, Mm -hmm. that didn't make it to the album, what, therefore, was the first song you recorded for it? Um, It was Don't Be Down and Out. It actually... (laughs) The first track. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the first track. The first two tracks that are kind of um, the extremities of the spectrum Mm. were Don't Be Down and Out and don't know when it is I'm going to die. And I sort of were working on them concurrently. Um, I had, like, because I'd been to Tamworth and because I'd been to Bluesfest, it was all this sort of roots music, twangy stuff. And it's like, if, if you listen to the last Wagons record we did before this, um, uh, Songs from the Aftermath, you know, we're dabbling in some really dark sort of Nick Cavey, um, gothic, themes, rock and roll, some pop elements, some like we were actually going quite, um, I don't know, we were steering away from the country band we were when we started in Fitzroy mm-hmm. in 1999, you know, we're doing residencies in, in, on Melbourne corners, you know, uh, and, I, and, and I saw all this music in Tamworth and Byron Bay, and I thought, I, I want to make some country music. I was inspired by the feel. Uh, again, it's like I've always made country music of various so- sorts, mm-hmm. whether it be like, you know, inspired by Emmylou Harris's Red Dirt Girl. I think Songs from the Aftermath was very inspired by Emmylou Harris's Red Dirt Girl, where it's like all spooky and a lot of toms and a lot of plate reverb and close vocals and, and dark stories. Um, whereas I just wanted to get back into the twangier, more fun side of country and a lot of jangle, uh, and, and I, I had that vibe. I had these songs. Don't be down and outs like the upbeat Waylon feel, and don't and don't know when it is. Oh, I'm going to die is more uh, like a Johnny Cash American recordings sort of feel, and everything else sort of falls in between somehow in in my own interpretation of what what cosmic country is, I guess. <laughs> And there are some very entertaining songs on there, including Felix Granger, The Finger Pickin' Boy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. And Tasmania gets a mention in a song. I don't think that happens too often. <laughs> I know. Well, one of the first tours I did interstate, it was with Dave Graney. We went to Dover, Tasmania and played a little restaurant there. Um, but that song is about that place and partially my experience there and about just lead guitarists in general. Um I love lead guitarists. I think there's that sense of bluster, you know, I did it for the chicks, man, you know, shredding guitar. But in actual fact, I think um, everyone that plays lead guitar just 
it, it, it's the same as someone who plays computer games on a Nintendo Switch. Like playing a lead guitar is a little on the spectrum in the best way. Like you need to spend hours in the bedroom alone, dedicated to your instrument. And I just love how extreme it is. You know, these lead guitarists with, you know, flowing locks, you know, out there shredding, but it's like, it actually takes a lot of dedication and a lot of me time and alone time to actually get it good. Yeah. Uh, and I just like the opposition and that song kind of came out of Dover and, and thinking about that and writing, you know, one of those lead guitarist gets discovered stories. It's all a, a mishmash of that. And Chris Cheney from the living end, um, did the lead guitar on it, which was pretty good. He does such a good job. Um, it is, yeah, it's an album of light and shade, of up and down, and I think, you know, it's, as you've flagged, there is that that balance between the two. But but also microcosm, macrocosm, it's basically life in an album. <laughs> well, I hope so. I think it's a good, uh, it, it was a good diary entry for where I was and, and uh, at that time. I mean, it's a, quite an honest and open record i mean there are some stupid moments but i'm often very stupid you know and you know especially when i write funny songs you know some people go well where's the you know when are we getting the real confessional album and i'm like i am like i have no choice but being confessional i'm not faking anything it's mm -hmm. just i'm having fun and i've got this weird muse that um attacks and and i i, I can't spend the amount of time I do on songs if I'm I'm faking it because I just don't have the attention span or the inclination to waste my time on stuff that I'm not liking so you know this this record was incredibly honest it had to be because I was doing everything pretty much mm -hmm. um you know I had some help like uh Damien Caffarella helped mix it i kind of just spat out stems and thought you 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 finish this off and he did a stellar job and lachlan bryan plays piano on a few kids just stuff but most of the architecture like i'd say at least 80 to 100 percent of every song katie brianna sings on it um damien plays but uh most of it was just me and 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 in order for it to just come to a conclusion i needed to I needed to love it and and feel aligned with it, if that makes sense. To to see it out, absolutely. And I, I also, did it in here. It was all in. It was all in here. And it's, with, it's with a, all this crap. <laughs> everything's there. Piano, keys, guitars. Um, yeah. but also, I think fun is underrated. Yeah, you, know, you said you want to have fun. Right. I, I think as adults, we tend to think we're not meant to have fun, or it's 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 a lesser than ambition. It's what other ambition is, is there, you know, really? Happiness. Is, COVID. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Happiness is what it's all about. And I've always been drawn. There's a sense in which it, when you think about songwriting too, serious songwriting can't be fun, you know, but I feel like people that I consider the greats, like your Bob Dylan's, like your um, Lucinda Williams, uh, they are actually they've got wry humor throughout and actually uh have a, a real uh, ability to make you laugh and cry within a line you know um within a verse across a song john prine you know and, and so johnny cash elvis you know there's this sense of of fun to all of them if you think about it mm -hmm. um 
So, you know, I, I do think, I think you're right. Um, fun is, fun is underrated, Sophie. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, now you mentioned Lachlan Bryan and you two have just played in the UK to some quite large audiences. That looked like yeah. a It was like to thousands. We, we just came back. So we were supporting the Canadian kind of dark bluegrass extravaganza that is the dead south. Um, uh, and they're wildly popular. I originally played with them 10 years ago. We were both on the same label, Six Shooter Records, and I supported, they supported me in front of 40 people in a, like a Canadian ski town in the summer. <laughs> in yeah. like, and, and, uh, we played this tiny gig and um, somehow they seemed to remember that and asked us uh, on tour. And we were playing, we were like we played the Roundhouse in London. We were playing to two to 5,000 every night where we went around, like Dublin. I'd never been to Belfast, like all these amazing places I'd never been to before. And I've been, I've been around, Sophie, I've got to admit it. And, and the idea I've never, I haven't for a long time, been able to preach to the non-converted so many non-converted all at once and i was wondering whether i still had it in me um mm. and i think i did okay like it like it went really really well to the point where um i'm about to announce going over there again to visit some of the pla same places um and see what stuck um i made a lot of fast friends and i have a feeling it's going to be really great i haven't really i've gone to america more than that part of the world um in my past and i think i've made a grave mistake <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, i love america i don't get me wrong but it's like i'm i'm um i'm excited about going uh back to the uk again i think i think we're going to be friends yeah, well, that is fantastic, and it doesn't surprise me that you had a strong response. Uh, but you know what's funny? I saw you. I'm sorry to interrupt, but, but it's it, it's really refreshing and fun to like you were talking about just before we we our chat. We were talking about the midnight special shows, and the show that I did at the midnight special in front of sixty. Um, I love that venue so much, by the way, but. Like at that special midweek low-key secret show versus, and then it was exactly the same show yeah. to 5,000 people in the UK and it's worked. Mm. Like, like I said, I'm not really able to do anything else. Mm. I, that, it was the same thing. And it's, it, 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 was, it was surreal to know that it, that it translates and, and yeah, it's great. But I think that also comes back to your intention as a performer. That's as what we were talking about earlier. It's like when the intention is the same for each show, it will work like that. When you've got the experience, obviously, and um, the uh, yeah, when you've got the talent, the application, the intention, and the experience, that is going to work in any environment. Well, it was fun, and it, you know, you can imagine the predator mast <laughs> going wild. We're looking around at at thousands of people, um, and it was just an absolute thrill ride. I was, uh, I had a migraine after the, the London show. <laughs> um, now, one person you have to leave behind, um, and I'm changing the subject slightly, is your mm. child, whom you mentioned, Casper, and you yes. and she do these snack 
food yes. communes together, which is a really nice line in social media content, I have to say. <laughs> well, that came out of COVID too. We were just looking for stuff to do and, and she was into eating. She just likes the opportunity to eat bad food really um, on, on air um, and talk about it. But yeah, look, it led to actually one of the biggest thrills in my life performance history last weekend as in when was it just this last saturday um we hosted vicar and linda's christmas spectacular together um at the melbourne recital center my my 10 year old daughter and i got to MC that uh and it was wild and it was really fun and to and, and that's because you know uh vicar and linda and Casper, when that when she was a baby, we I did rock quiz with her, and and they were passing her around. Like she's known Vicar and Linda a long time, but Vicar and Linda are fans of the snack videos and has seen me post stuff with Casper. Um, and they're like, "Would you guys? It's sort of a family themed Christmas show. Would you guys like to host it?" And we're coming on. We're talking about off stage about what we're going to say, what jokes we're going to tell, what dance moves we're going to pull. We performed a couple of songs, and it was. An incredible experience for me. I hope it wasn't irresponsible parenting to get Casper up in front of, you know, 1,500 people. But she sailed. She sailed through it. It was a, a beautiful experience. Um, so it was good to work with her for the first time. But, yeah, I, I hate leaving her behind. Um, and I try and keep my tour. I'm not I, – I try and cut the fat off any tour. I never like staying out for any longer than I possibly can. I'll take the 6am flight the next day. I, I'm, I, I try and keep tours really efficient because uh, I like to be, I like to be home uh, to my family as, as, as soon as I'm done. Well, I have to say, because there is a fantastic video of you and Casper co-hosting that, that Christmas show on your oh, yeah. Instagram and she looks to the man born. So I imagine it won't be long before you're taking her with you on tour. Well, we've done a couple of gigs. We played a small fry rock performance in brisbane together too and and she throw i think you know she primarily does it for the backstage catering <laughs> it, it's like she's been watching me prance around the stage like a knob all her life i think you know and that's just normal that's just part of the work she just doesn't she couldn't care less about it but she just likes being able able to eat cheese and marshmallows and drink a lemonade as soon as she gets off stage you know it's pretty good it's pretty good but she'll be an entertainment monster. She well, be. yeah, as I said, she she is fantastic, and she wouldn't be the first artist to be focused on the writer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm guilty of the same, actually. I, I've got to say, maybe it just runs in the family. <laughs> well, Henry, I should let you go um, because you may wish to go and chat to Casper, for example. Um, but, you know uh, what? She's at my mum's today because um, my wife and I are about to go and watch um, Courtney Marie Andrews and Robert Ellis tonight, which will be really, really fun. I love uh, both of them. So this will be a, a double header like nobody's business. And I'm friends with – it's going to be a late night, I reckon. Right. Well, I hope so. Yes, I couldn't see them in Sydney because I was away. But Oh, damn. I know, I know. But I have seen Courtney Marie Andrews before. Um, have a wonderful time at the gig. Thank you so much for your time talking to me. Fascinating and enjoyable and fun it was. What, oh, good. 
Thanks for listening to the Sunburnt Country Music Podcast. For more Australian country music interviews and reviews and other things, go to sunburntcountrymusic.com or to Sunburnt Country Music on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok.